Hey, everybody, and welcome to Cancer in the Room, the podcast. Now, the goal of our podcast is really quite simple. We are here to highlight the inspiring stories of athletes, sports executives, and media personalities, all who have faced and beaten cancer. All of us on our podcast have cancer or continue to deal with it each day. And our spin is we all have to deal with cancer in the room, and yet we will strive to push forward in a positive manner and we love talking sports. My name is Dave Jamison, and he is Bryn Griffiths. From Olympic gold medal performances to home run calls to hosting Blue Jays baseball on Sportsnet, his voice has been part of the soundtrack to some of Canada's greatest sporting events. We welcome Jamie Campbell to Cancer in the Room. How you doing, by the way? Everything okay? Bryn and Dave, nice to hear from you. I, I'm, I mean, I felt better. And I, and by that, I mean, you know, everybody gets a cold around this time of year. And I guess I got to get one, too. Hey, Jamie, the numbers are staggering. If you put five people in a room in Canada alone, the chances are that two of the five have a cancer connection. Now, that's why we call this cancer in the room. And I, I guess the biggest question we always ask is, do you remember the first time cancer was mentioned to you by your doctor? Yes, I uh, absolutely remember it. It was January 11th, 2021. Uh, I was on a couch, not far from the one I'm sitting on, in fact. Um, approximately at 11 o'clock in the morning. It's funny, and you know, both of you would know this. You tend to remember details like this. Um, and uh, my doctor, uh, whose son plays in the National Hockey League, I might add, Jake Evans, who plays for the Montreal Canadiens, gave me a call to let me know that uh, after a routine blood test, they had detected what's called chronic lymphocytic leukemia. And uh, she asked me to go to an emergency room nearby as quickly as I could just to confirm what her blood tests were telling her. And uh, I did that. And within a couple of hours, I don't want to say my life had changed, but my perspective on life had certainly changed because, um, you know, as you both know, it's, it's, it's frightening to get told something that you have no information on. And I had nothing on CLL at that time. So the process of learning more about what uh, I was diagnosed with soon began. Curious to know why you didn't go public as quickly as you did with this, because you'd known for quite some time, and it must have been a struggle for both you and your family. It was, um, it was for a purpose that I didn't immediately uh, publicize my illness, because when you're diagnosed with chronic lymphocytic leukemia, oftentimes, in fact, the majority of the time, you don't need treatment right away. It's what's called a watch and wait diagnosis. So I was told that at some point in time, um, I would require treatment because the progression of the leukemia would be enough where I would start to feel weak and fatigued and uh, my lymph nodes would explode. And um, there would come a time down the road where that would happen and treatment would be required. But at the moment, uh, January 11th, 2021, when I got that diagnosis, I did not require any treatment whatsoever. Um, all I knew is that in time, I would require it. And uh, that was actually a very difficult period for me was knowing that that uh, or that need for treatment was coming. Um, and oddly enough, I was 
in Alberta when I figured out that, uh, that I had, um, really needed to go and start getting treatment. And it was a few days later in Toronto when I started taking the treatment. And, and that was the point where, you know, this, the baseball season was about to begin. I think we were two weeks from opening day and I was unsure how this treatment was going to impact me. I was definitely unsure as to how often I was going to be able to do my job. So I figured it would probably be best to alert people who watched Blue Jays baseball that I was dealing with this. And for whatever reason, if an extended period of time went by and you didn't see my face on the TV screen, there was a reason for it. I didn't want to hide anything from anybody. Um, and more importantly, given the platform, I thought it would be really important to let people know that if I, um, if I endured the treatment well, and didn't miss any time at work. And quite frankly, I did not. For a 162-game season, I never missed a scheduled broadcast because of my leukemia. Um, it would give other people hope. People who get diagnosed with the same thing I had could see me living a reasonably healthy lifestyle with the same affliction they had. And that was the second reason I decided to publicize it. I remember the exact time I got the news uh, it was June 5th at 2.07 p.m. It's funny how it's that specific. Then I had to make tough calls, tough calls to family, my three children, and to my friends, the, cl the closest uh, friends. How tough has that been for you, or was that for you to make? It's a great question, Dave, and it doesn't surprise me that you, you know, you time-stamped uh, the yeah. moment you got the call because we all seem to. I, I don't know why... I remember it was a few minutes after 11 o'clock in the morning for me, but it, it, it hits you that hard. Um, you know, the, the, the first two people I told were my, my two children, uh, age 16 and 14. They were 14 and 12 then. Uh, I wanted to be up front right away. Um, by that time, I'd garnered enough information to, to be able to tell them with authority that you know, I wasn't going to be dying anytime soon and that it was a very uh, survivable diagnosis. Uh, but that was probably the hardest of the phone calls I had to make, to be quite honest with you. Um, the other calls I made, and one was to the guy sitting right beside you, mm -hmm. was to seek the advice of people who'd received the same kind of phone call and, and try and understand what it was going to be like to live the rest of my life with cancer. And, uh, Bryn was immensely helpful. Um, when I phoned him, um, I called, uh, an old friend of mine from high school, longtime kicker in the national football league, Steve Christie, who, uh, was diagnosed with, um, uh, colon cancer about, uh, five or six years ago. And he's been living with that. So, you know, those phone calls were, were more um, out, of, out of, you know, looking to find a little guidance and, and, and sharing what I was going through with people who had experience in dealing with this kind of thing. The hardest, um, the hardest moment I had without fail wasn't a phone call. It was with my mother. And a very quick backstory, my mom in the mid-60s set out to be a nurse, and she graduated from nursing school, went and joined a hospital, I'm not exactly sure where, and the very first patient she had was a young child, 
about the age of seven or eight, who had leukemia. And on her watch, that child passed away within six or seven months of my mom um, helping to, uh, to look after and treat this young child. And I knew that that word would scare the heck out of my mother. So we gathered a bunch of family members at my sister's house and, um, and sat around in a, in a show of support so that I could break the news to my mom that I had uh, the dreaded L word. Um, and I'm glad we did it that way because uh, it would not have been right for me to just pick up the phone and call her and not have been in her presence. But by that time, I had enough information about what CLL was and I could say to her quite safely that, hey, listen, the plan here is to be treated and to live for another 25 or 30 years if I can make it that far. And, and that's certainly my intention. Now, all three of us have been very public because we're broadcasters primarily. So you decide to go public with this and then this wave comes at you and you're getting feedback from absolutely everybody. Uh, I found the feedback for me and Dave, I know it was the same with you. We, we are boosted by the positive fight that we got from a lot of people. But uh, how was this whole thing for you? Well, we've all read the statistics, and I think you trotted one out before this uh, session began, about one in five. I must say, every single home Blue Jay game this year, I would have people coming up to me every five to ten minutes um, telling me about their cancer diagnosis. So it is extremely prevalent, and and must touch the lives of every family out there in some way. Uh, I think one of the benefits of, of um, being to a degree in the public eye is that within days of me announcing that I had this, I had people who have the same kind of cancer that I have reach out to me, and their messages were incredibly hopeful. Um, in many respects, people who had lived with it for 15 and 20 years and were still being treated for it, but um, had led relatively normal lives. And, and that just gave me, you know, that it made my heart sore um, because, you know, it, it gave me hope that, that I too could live a long, reasonably uh, healthy life, even with CLL. And, and then there would be occasions where someone would say, message me on Twitter having just received the same diagnosis I has, I was now very uh, familiar with. And that way I could reach back out to them and say, Hey, listen, you're going to be just fine. You know, if, if you, if you find the right expert, um, get the proper medical assistance, get on the right treatment, you should be okay. And, um, you know, once again, it was, it was fun for me to, to sit up there on the set every night um, dealing with this and showing people just by being there and looking relatively happy and relatively healthy that, you know, you can get the kind of diagnosis I got and still, still do your job every day, still spend time with your family, still enjoy the things that life has to offer and, and not necessarily be debilitated by it. So um, it's funny, you know, it got to the point for me, and I know I've, I've said this to you privately, Bryn, that you know, there were times where the treatment that I'm on right now is so effective that there are some days when I wake up and forget that I have leukemia. Uh, in the yeah. first in the in the first year, 
I could not forget it. In fact, the first six months, every morning I would get up, put my feet on the ground, be thankful for the day and realize, holy smokes, I've got leukemia. But the, the treatment's been so effective for me that there are days where I, it's a secondary thought. And what's fascinating is because I work in a very public forum at the stadium every summer, I have people who will come up to me prior to the show during the game and, and say, hey, I'm praying for you or how are you feeling? You know, and yeah. that's the first and that's the first reminder every day that, oh, yeah, that's right. I know what they're saying. They're being gracious and kind. And they are, in a way, reminding me that I have leukemia. Um, it's quite fascinating. Jamie, it sounds like you're in a really good place with all of this. But as we all know, there is the physical component of all of this. Then there's the mental side. And it comes with all the trimmings. How did you deal with the mental side of, of this fight? I did not seek any help, uh, Dave. Um, I came to a couple of realizations very quickly, and I'd be fascinated to hear what both of you went through um, when you had to process what you had. But, you know, every day of the summer, I sit beside a man, Joe Siddle, whose 14-year-old son was taken by cancer within a, about six or seven months of being diagnosed. And Kevin just did not... to get a chance to live out his life in full. Uh, it was 14 rich years, but, you know, so sadly and so tragically, it was taken from him um, because of cancer. And so when I first learned of this, I thought to myself, hmm, you know, I'm 53 years old. I've had, uh, I've had a really, really good life, a rich life. I've uh, lived, I've loved, I've experienced, I've seen things, I've been places. Um, you know, I ascended to the profession that I, I sort of handpicked when I was 13 or 14 years old. This has not been a bad, bad journey. Um, my, my greatest concern at the time was two teenage children who I had yet to see off to university and on to their, you know, their individualistic lives. Um, I, I wanted to make sure I was going to be around for that at the very least, but, you know, beyond that, um, I kind of um, reflected on everything I'd been through and for whatever reason, being appreciative of the years I've had made it easier to process the diagnosis. I, I don't know if that makes sense, um, but it worked for me. And now what I do is, like I said earlier, I wake up every day and I try not to worry about it. If it's taken from me tomorrow, well, it was fun while I was here. Um, but otherwise there's so many things in this life that we can't control guys. And you both know that so well, um, I can't worry about, you know, that, that little evil thing that might be lurking inside me that, you know, may come and get me and I can't control it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna waste energy and waste a good day and waste the time I have left with people that I love worrying too much about that. It's amazing what you notice every day once you get that diagnosis that you have cancer. Now, uh, my spectrum opened up. I started to see stuff and never really noticed a lot of that stuff beforehand or cared about it. So it was a bit of a game changer for me. Dave, you and I have talked about it frequently, that kind of thing. Like, for example, I have a backyard. I noticed all these blue jays in the backyard suddenly. Never saw them before. It's stuff like that. Now, I'm kind of curious to know whether or not... Uh, whether or not you started to notice things like that as well. 
the first walk, the first walk along the boardwalk close to my house uh, in the east end of Toronto that I went on with my two children after my diagnosis was the most spectacular walk. And yet I had done it a hundred times previously with yeah. them. And for whatever reason, the air smelled better. The sound of the, of the, the waves from Lake Ontario crashing against the beach sounded better. Everything looked better, felt better. I mean, Bryn, I, you know, you and I went to an Edmonton Oilers game with my 16 year old son in March a year ago on a trip that maybe if I don't get a diagnosis, I don't take because right. that was, that was, Hey, what haven't we done yet? And we both looked at each other and said, haven't gone to an Oilers game with you yet or a flames game. So we, you know, packed a quick bag, jumped on a plane, went and saw the flames, came up to Edmonton, saw the Oilers. You joined us for the game. That's the kind of thing that, you know, if I hadn't been diagnosed, maybe I put that off. It's quite possible that I would have. Eh, you know, we'll do it another time. We'll have lots of time to do that, son. Maybe another time. No, no, no. We're doing it. I did the same thing about yeah. five, six weeks ago. I took my kids to Europe. Uh, would I have done that if I had not been diagnosed? Maybe not. Maybe I would have put it off. Don't put things off. Do them now. We draw inspiration from the world of sports, and you're surrounded by individuals who have overcome a lot in their lives and in their careers, and they give a tremendous amount back to the causes like this one. Did you get a call or a message from anyone who surprised you? Mm, good question, Dave. Um, not a phone call that, uh, that offered any kind of advice. The support mm -hmm. from areas that you don't expect it from um, has pleasantly surprised me um and i'm extremely grateful you know who reaches out to me by text message probably once every two to three weeks is ken rosenthal who is you know yeah. is in in my sure. business is the best of the best among journalists in terms of you know breaking trades and and free agent signings uh, he he is the one voice among journalists in baseball that you need to listen to if you want to know what's going on. And every three weeks I get a text message from him saying, how are you doing? And, and I, and Ken's a busy man, you know, he doesn't have time to keep texting me. And then during the all-star game in July, both he and Vladimir Guerrero jr. Um, held up uh, signs during the, the fifth or sixth inning break when they were standing up for people with cancer and, my name and Buck Martinez's name were written on that sign, and I was completely leveled by that gesture. Uh, it's it's incredible what kind of people who you look at as as sort of friends on the periphery who really right. step yep. up, who really step up, and maybe they've got some experience um, in in dealing with with this kind of thing on a on a level that I'm unaware of, but. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm really grateful for, for anybody who reaches out to say, hey, I'm thinking about you. Hey, hey, I can't speak for you guys, but I got to admit, for me, I'm becoming a bit of an information sponge in all of this. I just can't get enough info on what is new and the latest battle against cancer, that type of thing. All the new treatments, all the new drugs, that type of stuff. You know, we can beat this thing, but uh, let's get back to how you feel about all of this. Well... You know, somebody said to me not long ago, and I'd never thought about this, because when I was a teenager, my parents would go on walks to raise money for the Canadian Cancer Society. And 
And I never quite understood what the purpose of that was at that time. Um, none of us had cancer. My dad eventually got cancer, but my parents were devoted to doing this every time there was an opportunity. And, and as a teenager, I never took a moment to ponder what they were doing. And not long ago, somebody said, remember all those walks for cancer and runs for cancer that our parents did back in the 80s and 90s? And I said, yes. And they said, that stuff is paying off right now. Yeah. Like the, yeah. the med like in, in this particular instance, they said, Jamie, the medication you're taking now that is literally saving your life was developed with the research and the funds all of those years ago. And I, and it, like you mentioned, Brent, it now has me looking, I get irritated when I hear about people that are diagnosed with ALS, for example, uh, uh, and, and there, there aren't enough options for them at this moment. There are things that are being tested, but nothing that's being fast-tracked. Um, and, and I pay much more attention to that kind of thing more than I ever did. I find when I hear the word cancer now, I don't freeze up. Um, but I'm fascinated by my awareness and, and empathy, how it's changed. I spent many weeks with uh, several people at the Cross Cancer in Edmonton talking to folks going through the same thing as I was. You're on a, a broadcast team at Sportsnet with Buck Martinez, too, another guy we've talked to about all of this. You know, he had to miss the first three months of the season because the treatment that he uh, underwent was was quite extreme. So, right. um, and And even then, you know, even in the heart of May and June before he'd return to the broadcast booth, there I'd get a text from Buck saying, how are you doing? You know, yeah. and, and and normally Buck and I don't text one another. Um, and every couple of weeks we check in with each other and say, are you doing OK? And and he check in on me. I check in on him. And uh, and in, you know, in the weirdest sense, it's brought us a little bit closer than we were we ever were before. Um, but you know, Brent, it might've been you who said, you know, sometimes, sometimes you looked at your diagnosis as a blessing. And, and sometimes I look at mine that way too, because maybe I wasn't looking at life the way I should have previously. And, and that's really a statement only people with cancer will ever understand is that we, we think we appreciate what we have. We think we appreciate the people around us, we think we relish these moments, but until somebody taps you on the shoulder, you never truly do. And I think the gift that I have received from all of this, and I, and I use that term with a, you know, a bit of a chuckle is, is that, man, I just, even the smallest, tiniest, most pleasant moments are so much more meaningful to me than they ever were. Okay, sense of humor. I've always had a weird one, I'll admit that, but I do chuckle my way through life in general. Maybe it's a little bit on the dark side, the humor. However, that's what gets me through. Do you do the same sort of thing? Yeah, I, you know, Bryn, you know this, and my family knows this. I like to cross the lines of humor oh, uh, and, and push the envelope on it privately. You know, in a Twitter world, I would never do it publicly, but... Uh, yeah. Uh, there, there's nothing better than a good laugh that brings tears to your eyes. And, and I'm always searching for one, um, maybe more so now than ever before. It's gallows humor at times, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Laughter's a, a, a wonderful tonic. It's um, I can be at my worst and, and something will trigger a memory that that 
is followed by a fit of laughter and suddenly you don't feel so bad. It's kind of like music in that way. Um, you can be driving along in the darkest of days and suddenly a song comes on that, that just brings you absolute joy. Laughter has that same feeling. Okay, let's shift gears right now and start talking about your career. Now, let me mention one name and then you take it, okay? So here's the one name, Alex Bilodeau. Alex Bilodeau. Uh, yes, he um, almost saved my career in the weirdest of ways. Uh, he would never know that. Um, I had been... Throw it out there. Throw it out there. I, I had been let go as the play-by-play -play man for the Blue Jays at the end of the 2009 season and wasn't even sure if I was going to be employed by the network I still work with. But I knew I had an Olympic assignment in 2010 in Vancouver. And of course, as everybody remembers back then, um, we had hosted two Olympic Games by that time, one in Montreal, one in Calgary, and hadn't won a gold medal in any of them. So that anticipated first gold was, uh, was sort of the early story of those games. And it just so happened that I was behind the microphone when it happened. And uh, um, I still, you know, what are we, 12 years later, I still get people stopping me. And I expect them to bring up, uh, you know, what the Blue Jays pitching staff's going to look like or what left-handed batter they're going to go out and get. The first thing they mention is Alex Bilodeau's name. And yeah. um, it was a weird time in my career because I, I wasn't sure where my career was headed at that point. And we had not yet created the concept of what's now known as Blue Jays Central. Um, and, and Alex Bilodeau was a shot in the arm for me. It was, it was a reminder that I was still relatively decent at the job and still here. We've just come through a World Cup in December with a crazy final, especially since Canada qualified. What's the most compelling sports story for you over the last 18 months? Oh, boy. Oh, my goodness. You're doing a fine job, of Dave, of, uh, of putting yeah. me on the spot. Most compelling sports story. Okay, then. Let's try this. Uh, there are bookmarks in your career where you probably said, I've never saw that coming. I never saw that coming. But let's start with this one. How about a certain race car driver? Oh, goodness, yeah. Bryn and I were driving. Uh, we had just watched uh, Pavel Burry score the Game 7 overtime winner at the Saddle Dome against the Flames uh, in what was then a, a fairly significant upset by the Canucks. And the next morning, we're driving up the highway that connects Calgary and Edmonton, but through the mountain range. And we thought we'd heard a radio signal, someone suggesting that Ayrton Senna had died. And it took us about a day or so to, uh, to figure out that that was in fact true because we completely lost the, 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 the signal between, yeah. I don't know, Jasper and Hinton or wh wherever it was we were at the time was fascinating. You know, I'll throw this at you. You had me thinking there, Dave. I mean, like you guys, I've been a sports fan since, you know, I, I crawled out of diapers there are a lot of things happening in recent years in Canadian sports history that I never, ever, ever thought I would see. I never thought I would see a Canadian win, a Canadian woman win a Grand Slam tournament in tennis. And I don't right. even follow tennis, really. I mean, I do from a, from a sort of a, a casual standpoint, let alone this country win a Davis Cup. Um, I, I, I didn't quite understand, as you alluded to earlier, the, the magnitude of Canada qualifying for the World Cup. I guess when I was young, I wasn't paying enough attention to it. I figured 
every country gets invited and they just eliminate them from the bottom. Uh, that is not, as we know, the case. I never thought I'd see a Canadian win the Masters. I never thought I'd see a Canadian win the, the world driving title in Formula One and the Indy 500, for that matter. I love sports for that reason, because every year something happens, it seems, that blows our minds. Um, you know, and I know a lot of people, even though Argentina winning the World Cup isn't any kind of an upset, the way that game unfolded and the drama and the ebb and flow of that game is going to have people talking for years. But uh, um, I, I just love that about sports. I love how it just surprises us. I was watching the reaction of some of the people in Buenos Aires online the other day, and I was almost in tears. I had no affiliation to that country whatsoever, and I was in tears um, with emotion thinking back to Vancouver 2010 when uh, when Sydney scored the goal in overtime and, and – um, you know, people were just straight up crying with joy. That's the great thing about sports. We're so lucky to be involved the way we are. Okay, so I'm starting to drive the family at home a little crazy because I do collect great life quotes. Stuff like, uh, well, you know, stuff that means a lot to me, relevant to me and what I'm going through. Do you do that kind of thing? Oh, I picked up one years ago um, okay. a after I suffered... Um, a fairly lengthy uh, bout of depression and I needed to find a way to turn my life around somehow, some way. And a quote that came straight from the gravestone of Jackie Robinson is what literally helped turn me around. And it reads a man's okay. life, a man's life is worthless, but for the impact it has on other lives. And, uh, I never truly understood the meaning of that. Um, but once I did, it helped me find a greater purpose than myself. I think I'd spent the first 32 years of my life paying too much attention to me and right. came, came to the realization at a very dark time that I needed to start thinking more about other people, less about myself. Uh, and once I'd done that it, it changed my perspective on everything and it dug me out of a dark dark hole too which is uh um which is a, a longer unnecessary story at this point jamie this has been just great uh lots of positive stuff that you passed along and shared with us we thank you for your time and thank you for sharing your story great to hear from you dave you too bryn uh it's been a pleasure what an interesting conversation thanks man thanks so much okay guys well, that's it for today. Thanks for being with us as we talk sports and cancer on Cancer in the Room. We really hope the stories we've shared today help to make your day better and inspire you to recognize that so many have gone through so much and that there's positive stuff happening all the time on the beat cancer front. Now, if you have a comment on today's podcast or a suggestion of maybe somebody you think we should reach out to and track down and find out their story, then it's really simple. Just uh, just email me. It's Bryn, B-R-Y-N, at road55.ca. You can also check out our Twitter feed, too, which is at Cancer in the Room. And we also have a website, which is www.cancerintheroom.com. And don't forget, you can also catch us on any of your favorite ear candy sites, Apple, Spotify, Google, etc. Just subscribe, and every time we drop a new episode, it goes automatically to your mobile device and tell your friends, too. Big thank you to Jamie Campbell for joining us. Great being with you again. Likewise. Have yourself a great day, everybody. We're out of here.
This series is proudly produced by the team at Road 55. Road 55 creates content that connects. For more information, check our website, www.road55.ca.